Unfortunately, we have all heard them. Absolute horror stories of people, people who have been dealt the worst hands in life. And we think to ourselves, how could this happen? My mind immediately goes to someone like Sophie Delizio. Everyone around my era and older probably know her story. While at daycare in 2003, Sophie was hit by and trapped under a car and sustained burns to 85% of her body. Three years later, as she was being pushed across the road in her wheelchair, she was hit by a car. She was thrown 18 metres and suffered many injuries, including a heart attack and a broken jaw. Now, Sophie's recently returned from her studies over in London uh, and now she plans to travel. And I don't know whether she has faith or not, but it is stories like these where I often think, how does that happen? And I wonder, if that were me, how would my faith hold up? Well, today we're going to be continuing to follow Paul. He's finally setting sail for Rome and he's going to have his hearing with Caesar. But unbeknownst to him... His faith is about to get a real shaking. Please keep your Bibles open to chapter 27 of Acts. And due to the length of today's passage, um, we're skipping over some of the sections of chapter 27. We're picking up today from verse 13 as we started um, our Bible reading, where they set sail from Crete. To summarise what's been happening leading up to this part of the chapter, Paul, along with the other prisoners and the guard from Rome, have set sail for Rome And apart from the initial stages of the journey, they've found the trip quite difficult. They're trying to make progress, but the weather is not allowing for easy sailing, so they are making little ground. But things are about to get a lot worse. So verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long... A wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. And now we're going to jump down to verse 18. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging... We finally gave up all hope of being saved. I think sometimes when we read this passage, there's a danger of not realising the gravity of the situation. And perhaps this is because we know the end of the story. We know that Paul survives. Or perhaps it's because we've heard the storm narrative a few times in the Bible. Jonah, storm, get saved. Jesus and his disciples, storm, Jesus stops it. But the sailors and the passengers on board are taking a number of drastic measures here to save the ship that they are on. And I think we need to rewind a bit because this is different. Now, I believe that if you wanted to provide a solid biblical rebuttal to the prosperity gospel, the idea that God wants us to be happy, healthy and prosperous, I believe that Paul's ministry would be a watertight argument. Paul has gone through no shortage of trials since his conversion in Damascus. In fact, in Damascus, there are plots to kill him. Violent riots are stirred up against him. He's been stoned to the point of believing to be dead, severely flogged, 
jailed, taken to court multiple times, and then there are more plots to kill him. And we know that from 2 Corinthians, he's been shipwrecked three times already. Keeping all this in mind, in verse 20, Luke writes something quite confronting, yet also sobering. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. They gave up. Paul gave up. After everything that Paul had been through, all the trials that he has faced, despite the fact that he had been told by Jesus Christ himself in Acts 23 that he would go to Rome, he gave up. Perhaps this flies in the face of how we usually perceive Paul and how we think mature Christians should behave in the face of trouble. Paul has been portrayed as such a resilient apostle throughout Acts, and although his past is tainted with sin, Paul is often thought of as the most righteous of believers. But here we see just how human Paul is. In this time of disaster, Paul loses hope of being rescued. By the time we are adults, we've often been exposed to some sort of catastrophe, and some of us here today have experienced more than I can imagine. And at times like this, we might cry out, Why God? And we think that maybe God is distant, an outside force looking in. Maybe we're tempted to think that this is just what living is like, an endless cycle of good and bad, celebration and tragedy. Utter meaninglessness. But no, as the famous passage from Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And perhaps Paul recognises this and has just submitted to the fact that his time is up. I think sometimes we just don't want that to be an option. But there are times... There have been times and continue to be times where Christians are put in catastrophic situations. Persecution, execution, and God works this for the good of his people. He brings them home to him. So although Paul had given up on being saved from this dreadful storm, it's clear that he hasn't given up in his hope of salvation. We know that he hasn't from what we read next. We see that God isn't distant and that his plans, he told Paul, will come to fruition. God sees Paul in his time of need and knows that he is in need of encouragement. He sends it in the form of an angel and Paul responds with renewed faith and boldness. Let's read on from verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to set sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. 
Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. This is one of the five occasions in the book of Acts where it is seen that God intervenes by communicating directly with Paul. We see three things in the passage that confirm what we saw earlier. One, Paul was afraid. Do not be afraid, Paul. This was as serious as it gets. Two, despite his loss of hope in being saved from the ship, he still had his faith. It says in verse 25, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. But I think this is the key to how this passage applies to us today. Paul was reminded of the promise God made to him back in Acts 23 that he would go to stand trial before Caesar. And this seems to renew his courage and faith. He was reminded of God's promise. When catastrophe strikes and we feel hopeless, we need to be reminded of God's promises to us. Now, I know that I, for one, haven't heard God's voice audibly spoken to me, nor have I had an angel sent to me. However, as much of an encouragement that would be, we don't need that. We have God's promises written down in the Bible, and his track record is perfect. God promises Abraham that he would would father a son and become the father of many nations. He promises to be with Moses and give him the strength to lead his people out of Egypt, the promise to David that his line would bring the world its Messiah, the promise to the whole of Israel that they would be given the land of the Canaanites, and when they were in exile that they would be brought back. And this only scratches the surface of the promises that God has made to his people in biblical times. But what about us? Well, in the Bible, we find plenty of promises for us. Promises like God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. That in times of injustice, he will bring justice. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? That he guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus in times of anxiety that in times when tough decisions ought to be made, that God gives wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously. And that we can take refuge in God in times of need. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And if we are turning to his word regularly, the spirit holds those promises close to our hearts, even when we're within the greatest storms of our lives. Let's continue to read from verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. Short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, "'Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved.'" So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. 
Paul and the crew are now 14 nights on the sea, being driven across by these winds that have caused them so much trouble. They're somewhere between the two circles on the screen, hundreds of kilometres, but they aren't out of it yet. We see that the sailors take measurements and realise that they're approaching an island of some sort, but they are still worried as it's very, very dangerous. They fear that sooner or later the ship that they're pretty well tied together won't hold up and will be dashed against the rocks. So the sailors devise what they think is a cunning plan. They pretend to lower the anchors and get the lifeboat instead, a last dash for safety. Paul reminds the soldiers and the centurion in charge of them all that this isn't how God's promises work. You have to let God take control. And despite the fact that in Crete the centurion completely ignored Paul and went with the sailors, the soldiers cut the lifeboat's ropes and let it drift away. Can you imagine how the sailors looked and what they said? I reckon there's probably a good reason it's not written in the Bible. But the soldiers, or at the very least the centurion, showed complete faith in Paul and his God. Their last chance of saving themselves was now gone and it was all up to God now. I'm reading from verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat it. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Firstly, let's address the elephant in the room. In verse 33, we're told that it's been 14 days and they haven't eaten anything, but then they're told to take some food. I was confused upon reading this. Why would you willingly go without food for so long with it all just sitting there? Enough food that they now have to throw throw the leftovers overboard. Now, it's almost certain that the statement, no food, is a bit of an exaggeration. It could be that they were too anxious to eat much at all due to their situation. It could be that they were prescribed rations. Either way, they hadn't eaten much, and Paul encourages them in word and in action. In word, by telling them to eat because they need to keep up their strength, and by telling them that they are protected by God. And by action, in that after instructing them, he himself eats after giving thanks to God. There is a calmness to Paul brought about by his reliance on God and standing on his promises. And because of this, those aboard the ship are encouraged. This is certainly a calling to Christians. In our workplaces and in our families, if there is a catastrophe, if we can stand on God's promises we can be that encourager to others. Now, does it mean that we will necessarily bring others to God? No. There is nothing clear in Acts 27 that any of Paul's spiritual counselling brings any fruit. 
when he breaks bread, it isn't the Lord's Supper. And even when he later arrives in Malta, there isn't a mention that anyone comes to the Lord. In fact, they revere him as a God. But whether we bring people to God or not, we can certainly bless both believers and unbelievers alike when we stand fast in the Lord and encourage others. Paul's encouragement spurs them on to daylight. Verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get on, were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. You'd think that after everything Paul has done for them, the soldiers might be a little bit more gracious. But the fact of the matter was, their lives depended on the prisoners not escaping. So it's no surprise that they were planning to kill the prisoners. But the centurion pulls rank and stands the soldiers down. And they either all swim or float to shore as the boat is smashed into oblivion by the raging surf. God's promise was fulfilled. There's a common saying that is in Christian circles, and you might have heard it, faith, not fear. Faith is to overcome all our fear, no matter what, even if China is floating spy balloons over our eyes, or even if Russia is still in Ukraine, even if Australia is not the country that it used to be. Our faith should overcome our fear. And of course, this is true. There are plenty of Bible verses that I could point to that call us to trust in God. A quick internet search listed over 200. But you don't have to think very hard for very long as to why there are so many verses in the Bible about overcoming fear. It is because, despite the fact we know our faith should overcome our fear, fear overcomes us. Abraham, Moses, Solomon, Mary, Peter, Paul. When a family member is diagnosed with a terminal illness, when you are the family of someone like Sophie Delizio involved in two life-threatening car accidents, when you stare your own mortality in the eyes, fear grips us all at one point or another. And our faith isn't perfect yet. But we shouldn't just lay out the, mel- the welcome mat for fear to come in. We should use our shield of faith as it is described in Ephesians 6 to extinguish any fears the enemy may fire our way. And that faith is underpinned by standing on God's promises. Now I listed some of the promises earlier, but of course there was a big promise that Paul held on to even while stuck in what he thought were his last moments. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. The hope of eternal life, 
which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And God's track record is perfect. This is the hope we cling to, even when fear is on top of us. Now, unlike for Paul, where God has had explicitly promised through an angel that no one would die if they stayed with the ship, God hasn't made that promise to us. When the fire comes, or you hear the terrifying words come from the doctor's mouth, God hasn't promised that these things won't happen to us. But what he has promised is that no matter what, he will hold us fast. We know that God is faithful and that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Read the Bible. Be familiar with God's promises to you so that in times of catastrophe we can be strong. But no matter what, even in fear, let us always be encouraged by the truth that if our trust is in Jesus Christ, then the worst that can happen to us in this life leads to everlasting life with him. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we see that in your word Paul was overcome by fear, but that you encouraged him and used him to encourage others. Grow our faith, Lord. Help us to always cling to your promises, even in times of catastrophe, so that we can be used by you to bless others in whatever way you would use us. And we thank you that we can know that in your son Jesus, we will be kept for you. And it is in his name that we pray these things. Amen.